who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Podiobooks.com, in association with pjballantine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, Written and read by Philippa Ballantyne. Jerris moved so determinedly along the corridor that he didn't notice Mero and Massey behind him until he was halfway to the weavers. He whirled about, amber eyes flashing with hot anger. Though they tried to draw back into the shadows, his long male legs caught up with them quickly enough. What are you doing? He had one in each hand, and he gave them a little shake to emphasise his point. Mero met his anger with some of his own. I guess the question is more, what are you doing? Jerris released them and glanced over his shoulder. All his senses told him weavers were bearing down rapidly on them. Go back, he hissed. You still have some little time. I'm going to get another boat for the clan, and I need to be swift. We're going with you. Massey adjusted her long-bladed knife on her hip and pulled her hair back from her face into a tight ponytail. Jerris could see the determination of her kinsman Ashime in her face, and he knew she would not submit to his demands. Very well, Jerris glowered at them. But you must obey me in all things. Don't stray from my side. They nodded at him, all earnestness, but how long could that last? The smell of the weavers ran before them, hot and fetid, making the young ones gag. Jerris inhaled sharply, slipping into its natural form, knowing it would need all its strength. The smell told it much more than the others could guess. On it were written all the signals of its kind, how many there were, what they were thinking, and more importantly than that, how many of the powerful primes were with them. Only three, Jerris was pleased to realise, riding the rest of the mob like hunters among their dogs. They alone had anything like individual thoughts, but none were a match for Jerris. It was stronger than a prime, more individual than even they were. The main forces of the weavers were close. Quickly. Jerris shoved Mero and Massey against the cool lime wall. Now whatever happens, say nothing. Do not break my concentration, or we all die. Their faces turned pale, but they nodded. Jerris turned its mind away from them, concentrating its powers on the task at hand. 
Although it had never been trained with its abilities, and indeed could remember nothing of the time before Chris fell, it had begun to understand the extent of its strength. The little miracles of healing and agility it could accomplish were nothing to the abilities that remained locked inside. The extent of weaver behaviour seemed to be returning to it, as if it had always known them. All were ruled by the Alpha to varying degrees. Some were merely lumps of mobile flesh, slave to its will, whereas the Primes were allowed some measure of individual thought. The image of the weaver who led eluded Jerus, however. It would have to consider that later. The job at hand was not something it had tried before, but the ability lay within it. Mind over flesh. Thought over reality. The brain tells the body what is possible. Meat protested the shape Jerus demanded of it. Pain hammered at the door. For a moment it seemed that it would not obey. Perhaps a practice before would have been comforting. Then resistance was gone. It had a dim impression of Mero and Massey's shocked expression as its flesh wrapped around them, stretching over them, clasping them like a limpet to the rock. They showed remarkable restraint and not yelling out as its body engulfed them. But there was really no danger. Jerris managed to remember to leave breathing holes around the edge. This form hurt like hot flame as each muscle and fibre screamed, Return! The mob was about them, and Jerris had twin problems. To keep its form under control and to damp the thoughts of the two it enclosed. The weavers were intent on their mission, though, and streamed about them. Some even bumped against Jerris's limpet form. It held tighter to all ends of the problem, willing everything to hang together. And then they were gone. Jerris's body snapped back to its normal form. For a moment, the young Mero and Massey looked at him oddly. It waited for the horror to light behind their eyes. Mero grinned at him slowly. That was a really great trick! Jerris shook his head, hearing another echo of Ashime there. Come on, we've got a boat to catch. Ashime had traded her broadsword for a shorter one, a better weapon for tight conditions. Her buckler with the curved spike was strapped to her hand and wrist. Swinging her arms and arching her fingers to draw blood to them, she looked about her. They had fallen back slightly from the main chamber where the clan had been sheltering, choosing instead a narrow passage of rock preceded by another high lime bridge. Here a strong underground river was roaring its way to the sea. Ashime had some hopes that the rapid water would deter those weavers from bypassing the bridge. Clan's people with short bows were positioned on the higher parts of the cave at her back. They were used to hunting deer and rabbits. This would be different. Far too different. They had other methods of defence, of course. Two of the older men were on either side of the tunnel there was only one way out of. If all else failed, they would use the levers they held to create a rock slide. Ashime wasn't sure that this would work, though. These tunnels were far more stable than the ones she and Jerris had sheltered in back in Crisfell. These were fine, white structures, built up over thousands of years, and not easy to crumble. Glancing to her left, she watched Connor prepare. He was still very pale, but apparently fit. Perhaps it was the nearness of death and danger, but he seemed to stir something within her. He was certainly not what she'd expected for a sick can. A certain sweetness hung about him that he'd not lost at Skellig. A beguiling mix of toughness and kindness. Ashime was used to odd thoughts before battle. He turned and smiled at her reassuringly, his eyes lit with a touch of battle fever. 
his fingers flexed on the hilt of his sword. Connor looked up the corridor from where the weavers would come. They expect you miss your friends at times like these. She gave him a wry little smile. I certainly wish they were here. Connor seemed about to say something when they smelled it. It was a familiar odour that they'd all been waiting for. Weavers. Eshmo felt the uncertainty in the people about her. These were not the pirates and bandits they sometimes faced. If only they were. Clan Dunleary, raising her voice so that it echoed loudly above the curved space. Remember, your families are depending on you to hold this tide back. If you see faces or forms that you know, then you must cut them down swifter for using our loved ones so. Do not hold back or hesitate because of this, or the clan will be destroyed. You must sever the head to truly finish them. We will teach these weavers what true warriors are. These were the last coherent words that anyone would hear, as the weavers swarmed from the tunnel towards them. Moulded into strange forms, it was almost impossible to distinguish between individuals, and that was perhaps the greatest blessing. Scarlet flesh and dark scale engulfed the clan. The enemy gibbered, moaned, screamed, and laughed as they came. Perhaps the weavers didn't truly understand human emotion, or perhaps they didn't care. They had no real strategy. They simply swarmed at the clan's people. Ashime took a deep breath and a sturdy control of her rage. This was not the time to succumb to the gift of her father, or his end. The close confines of the tunnel meant she would obviously kill more of her own than the weavers would. There was more skill in these opponents than the others she had met before. One engaged her with a huge two-handed sword as a chieftain's weapon, and she dared not stop to consider whom it might be. Give me strength, mother, she prayed. Make my arms swift and deadly. Ashime parried its blow with a buck, twisting and trying to capture the blade on the spikes of the edge. But for all the weaver strength she had in her, this was something with the undiluted article. It pulled the sword free. She could feel the singing of her blood as each action seemed slowed. Life had never tasted so sweet. Throwing its all behind a vicious uppercut, she recognised this on an unconscious level. Swaying aside with a small, economical movement, she narrowly avoided the gutting blow. A short, sharp jab from the right sent her sword plunging up through the soft throat into the brain. Swiftly, she decapitated the twitching body. This was the last opponent Ashime could distinguish from any other. They came forward as if rushing to die. Seemingly, there was no end to the dark deformity and evil strength before her. Some were skilled, others merely formless pieces of meat there to be cut down. Several times rage threatened her, usually when she was most imperiled, but Ashime managed to hold it away. The people about her fought valiantly and died hard. No one could avoid noticing that the fallen were dragged back into the heaving mass of the mob. She had no idea how long it would take the weavers to use their bodies again, but she hoped it was a while. She had no desire to come face to face with such courageous kin as opponents. The weavers dropped back eventually, gibbering and moaning, dragging everyone's dead with them. The little alcove was carpeted with scarlet and eerily quiet. Ashime had to keep telling herself that they could not have hoped to keep the bodies. The people around her were so shattered. Haunted faces were pale above smears of blood, but even so, some of them managed to grin at her. She didn't have the heart to tell them that this was merely the beginning. With the departure of battle, she felt every ounce of her armour, and her arm trembled under the weight of her sword. Connor was bent over, wiping his blade on a scrap of lath that was all that remained of one of their number. His blonde curls were slick with sweat, and he could not meet her eye. Ashimay assessed how long they had gained for the rest of the clan. If they stayed here for much longer, they would be completely outdistanced. 
Time to retreat a bit. Does anyone know how far to the next cave like this? Not far enough, came the exhausted reply from one of her comrades. She managed to keep a sigh in. No relief from the pressing closeness of the tunnel for a while yet, then. She almost wished they were above ground, but then there would be no fighting retreat. Giving the signal, she waited for Connor to rise. As the warriors began to move, she found herself waiting to see how the Sitkian had fared. I'm all right. He ever so carefully replaced his sword in his sheath. Tired, <laughs> but all right. You won't have to put any more stitches in me just yet. The evening is yet young, she reassured him. And I'm afraid there will be far too many opportunities for me to get my needle out. Promises, promises, he drawled, falling into step with the others. They trudged to the next cave. Here, unlike in the tunnels, they were less likely to be overwhelmed simply by the weight of the enemy. The clan warriors spread out, each finding their own niche. As she may leaned against the stone cave, half shutting her eyes. It was night, she calculated, of one of the longest days she'd known. It might even be the last, for all of them. Garen was, however, not far from her thoughts, and they were hot, angry thoughts indeed. This, all of this death and destruction, was at least partly his fault. Mother, help you, Garen, she smiled slowly to herself, if I ever see you again. I hope you're not thinking about me. Connor joined her, folding his arms and resting as best he could. Not with that expression, at least. Why would I be doing anything like that? She still had enough energy to snap. He simply shook his head. One of the clansmen, his expression troubled, approached. His hand was clasped to one arm, and blood was slowly seeping from between his fingers. Ashime. He dropped down practically at her feet. That friend of yours, you know, the odd one, told me to give this to Connor. He dropped the bundle of Jerris's medicine pouch into her hands. Connor started upright, his eyes meeting hers in shock. Where's Jerris? Ashime shrugged. I don't know. With the rest of the clan? He shook his head. I didn't see it there. I thought it was somewhere with us. She knew. Ashime let her head fall into her hands. Jerris was not behind her. The blood they shared told her that. It was above and cold fear settled within her. Sweet mother, it had chosen a terrible time to become foolish. She could only rely on its own senses to see it through. Around the new cave, others were taking what rest they could. Despite the situation, many were sharing what moments they could with their friends and kin. Gentle chuckles made precious in this place echoed about the cave. These tunnels were chill, especially after the battle warmth had fled. Little groups huddled together, sharing what thin blankets they had. Some dozed. Ashime found more than enough people for Jerris's medicines. Finishing the last stitch in her latest patient, she looked about her. What are they doing? she asked him. The young man, barely capable of a beard, shrugged. The weavers don't come at night. He winced as she pulled the thread tight. Nice, she said, snipping it loose. I wish someone would have told me that. The boy grinned uncertainly and returned to a huddle of his kinsmen. Ashime managed to organise at least some of them into watches by the tunnel where the weavers must come, so they'd not be caught completely off guard. Briefly, she considered retreating further to where the rest of the clan were waiting, but then discarded the idea. At least here they had somewhere further to fall back if necessary. One of the clansmen touched her arm, pointing beyond the mass of warriors. We've prepared a little bedroll for you back there, Ashime. Wouldn't like you to say that Clan Dunleary hospitality is rough. In the midst of such death, she dredged the little gesture. Her head pounded, but she knew that a good sleep would be impossible in her armour. Connor was seated near the rear of the cave with his sword over one leather-breeched knee, sharpening the edge. 
She wandered away, feeling the need for privacy. Not far from the main one was a smaller, cell-sized cave. Her kin had placed a lantern, a water bag, some food, and a bedroll against the far wall. Here she unburdened her arm of the buckler and unhooked her sword belt, but she kept the scabbard close. Never had a thin, dirty blanket and a bedroll looked so inviting. Years of similar situations had honed her hearing. She was the lightest of sleepers. The sound of a foot on the crushed lime outside brought her to her feet, scabbard in one hand, the other preparing to draw. "'Peace,' Connor said in his Sitkin burr, raising his hands and stepping around the corner. "'You wouldn't he slay an unarmed man?' She dropped her scabbard and turned her back on him. The bedroll was more important right now. "'What is it?' "'I just thought you might want someone to talk to.' He leaned against the entrance. His eyes were unreadable in the shadow. "'Damn him, he hardly seemed exhausted at all.' as tireless as she had been at his age. Not really. She wrapped the blanket about her and struggled to find a comfortable rock to lean against. Every one seemed to poke her in just the wrong spot. Not even about Jerris. He moved into the cave and hunkered down beside her. She felt his nearness, knew his expression very well. Longing was on his face, but although her blood raced at his nearness, it was a purely physical thing. He was sweet and kind, but oh so naive, and he made Ashime feel very old indeed. Least of all about Jerris, she kept her voice flat, as she tried to locate a spot that wasn't going to leave her crippled when she woke. Connor must have picked up her mood. He blushed a little, probably embarrassed, but snaffled a blanket too. Do you want to share, Ashimi? These caves are freezing. Of course she shouldn't, but he wasn't wrong about the temperature. All right, she sighed. They huddled together against the cold. She curled against him with the blankets enfolding them both. Their armour bumped uncomfortably against each other with rasps of chain and leather. His warm breath whispered against her neck. She wasn't a fool. She could feel the tension in him, and knew the reason. He was a fine-looking lad, but there were other things on her mind. Still, it felt good to be held by a man again, especially tonight. Feeling curiously happy, she drifted off into an uneasy sleep. But even that didn't last long. The cave was warmer now. Ashimate felt cosy and loath to move. Connor and she were wrapped about each other, sharing the heat of each other's bodies. For one moment she allowed herself the luxury of watching him sleep. He was beautiful, she thought to herself. Her faithful body clock told her that the dawn was only a few hours off. may wished it was far away. You are a good man, she murmured to Connor, and part of her wished that she had taken what he had unconsciously offered the night before. It could have been sweet. Her hand reached out and gently followed the angle of his cheek. Dark eyes flickered open, slow with sleep, and imprinted with the remains of his dreams. Still, longing and desire were there, as she may knew the look. She felt tattered, torn, and ancient in that gaze. Throwing back their blankets, she rolled away from him. Connor blushed, and after running his hands through his tousled hair, adjusted his armour. Nothing was said. As she may sat back on her heels and and fixed her sword about her once more. The stillness seemed less friendly this morning, oppressively beating on her ears. Something was wrong. No sound could she hear out of place, not even the smell of weavers, but something was amiss. Her father's gift hissed a warming inside her. Quickly! She spun Connor around by his shoulder before striding back into the tunnel and to the larger cave where her kin slept. He followed after, hastily gathering up their blankets. Ashimay was shaking the warriors awake, while those on watch looked on perplexed. Get up! She applied her none-too-gentle boot to their hides. Her expression was fearful and strained. Nothing was unusual except what instinct told her, and blood. 
She could feel that the weavers were up to something. She could almost hear their chuckles and laughs. Or was that her imagination? They scrambled awake. It didn't take them long. Some leapt to their feet with weapons in hands, ready for a sneak attack. Their kinswoman paced the floor. Her hair was flying loose, and now they were awake, she seemed to have forgotten them. Both of her hands were at her forehead, rubbing vigorously, as if she could make the feeling resolve itself into certainty, merely by that act. She had no way of knowing what was happening. She had neither Jerris's experience nor inclination to delve into her weaver blood, and forcing just didn't seem to be working. Ashime stopped, and her green eyes grew wide with alarm, and she spun to face the inland tunnel. Under her feet, the rock was faintly trembling, shaking with a powerful force. Go! she ordered them, shoving Connor in the other direction. Run! Now! They didn't know why, but they obeyed, snatching up their bedrolls and running from the cave while she urged them on. All soon became clear. Ashime would not go until the rest had started hot-footing it towards the sea. Connor stood aside at the tunnel entrance, watching her, and knowing that he was damn well not going anywhere until Ashime did. He knew the peril now. They could all hear the roar of approaching water, a vast underground river rushing towards them. The smell of it sparked fear in everyone, and now they needed no urging to flee. In everyone's mind was the thought of being dashed against the unforgiving rock walls. Come on! he yelled above the approaching deluge as Ashime waited for the last to get on their way. He couldn't believe that she was just watching it come towards her. How could she stand right in the middle of the cave like that? Move yourself, woman! That turned her. Copper hair swung about her face, and she looked at him with eyes that blazed like light, all green gone, and a face that burned. This woman had secrets to spare, and Connor decided in that second he wanted desperately to live and find them out. The water spray was almost on their faces. Only then did she turn and run. He captured her hand and lit a fire beneath his feet. Ashime felt the power of the water and the attraction. It pounded in her head like vengeance from fate. She'd lied. Worse, being foolish and pathetic. What greater crime was there than that? But Connor deserved to live. He'd only tried to help. A side tunnel loomed to their right, curving upward, the backs of her kinsmen, who would make it, disappearing up it. Wrenching her hand free of Connor's, she gave him an almighty shove with her weaver's strength, propelling him in that direction. Then Ashime turned and faced the deluge. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e- or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast is supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.